You're listening to Season 3, Episode number 5 of Strike the Match. Ruth Tucker referred to the Moravian Church as one of the most remarkable missionary churches in Christian history. The story of the Moravians and their activities throughout the world is a story of perseverance, simple evangelical faith, and methods that influenced generations to follow. William Carey is known to have been influenced by the Moravians. John Wesley borrowed from them, in fact, from Zinzendorf himself, the phrase, the world is my parish. In this episode, I discuss the Moravians. Who were they? What did they do in their early days? What can we learn from them today? So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Hey folks, thanks so much for checking out uh, the podcast today. As always, I appreciate you listening and subscribing uh, to these episodes. I hope that uh, they've been a blessing to you. Season 3 uh, is has been moving along quite nicely with this being episode number 5, and I thought that in this episode it would be good to spend some time addressing a a group that uh, is not really well known in uh, Christian history. However, they had an incredible amount of influence and impact on uh, the sending nature of the church uh, throughout the world. And in uh, in recent conversations within the past, uh, oh, I don't know, five years or so, uh, they have been getting a little bit more attention, that is the Moravians. I know that when I wrote uh, my book, Discovering Church Planting, uh, that came out in 2009, and I had a chapter in there on um, the early Baptists on the American frontier and and the Methodists as well, I felt like the Moravians had such a a huge amount of of influence at that time and and prior to that time as well. actually at that time, excuse me, getting my dates mixed up a little bit, uh, that I felt like they needed to have uh, some attention. And so I included a chapter on early Moravians and their activities in in that book. Uh, but I've been pleased. I've been pleased within the past uh, few years, more and more uh, folks, and at least in missionary circles, uh, church leaders, mission agency leaders have been uh, making reference to the Moravians and, and what they they did back in the 18th century, and so I felt like it would be good for us to to spend uh, an episode to uh, reflect on uh, the Moravians themselves. And so um, I hope this uh, I hope this will be of some help to you in just providing some of the backstory and giving you some things to think about. And um, also, I hope that uh, the Lord may use this to to uh, continue to help you process. Uh, what can we learn? How can we how can we steward knowledge from what they did of a generation gone by? And uh, and this may generate some interest in you to do some further study on your own. It was once asked, uh, what was it like to be a missionary? Or excuse me, to be a Moravian? Uh, what was it like to be a Moravian? Uh, there was a question that was asked to a Moravian uh, one time in in history, um, and the answer. Uh, was to be a Moravian and to further Christ's global calls are are identical. And and that is a great way to think about being a follower of Christ, that uh, to, to be uh, a part of this group, the Moravians, if you will, uh, to further uh, Christ's global calls. Those, those are synonymous there with one another. 
I think it'd be a great way for us to think about that, regardless of our denominational or non-denominational affiliation. Uh, really, to think about you know, if I am I am uh, of, of an evangelical faith, if I am a follower of Jesus. If I am born again, that means that the advancement of the gospel on a global scale is is intimately connected with my identity in Christ, and and I feel like so much of of what's been going on in the West for many years has separated the two. Uh, that to be a, a Christ follower uh, is is something that can exist separate from being one who, who is advancing the cause of Christ on a global scale with a great amount of zeal. So uh, let's, let's begin by, by thinking about what did the Moravians believe? You know, who were they? What did they believe? Well, in order to understand the Moravians, uh, and we're going back to the early 18th century at this point in time. Actually, you have to go back farther than that. The Moravians actually trace their origins to the, to the 15th century to a group known as the Unitros Fractum, uh, who also were known as the Brethren. Uh, they were, the Brethren were followers of John Huss. Uh, Huss was eventually burned at the stake for his Protestant views. And um, following his death, uh, those that were not Catholic uh, found themselves uh, uh, being persecuted in European parts of the world. And so many of Huss's followers became scattered. They became a persecuted group. And uh, the Brethren uh, was, uh, was indeed one, one of those. By the time we get to the early 18th century, we encounter a man named Count Ludwig, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. He was a, a wealthy um, um, class. Uh, he owned a state and state in the area of uh, Saxony. Uh, the estate had the name Hernhut. Uh, Zinzendorf was a believer. He's a follower of Christ. And eventually some of the brethren and some other Protestants, Protestant groups uh, came in contact with Zinzendorf. Zinzendorf heard about their plight of, of having to flee for their lives, uh, being persecuted. And uh, he invited them to come to his estate uh, where they could find refuge. Uh, the group eventually uh, came to be called the Moravians. So when you begin to ask questions about uh, the belief system of uh, the early Moravians, uh, you, you have to return to pietism. You have to go back to uh, pietism, the works of, uh, of Spainer, Philip Jakob Spainer. Uh, but uh, to, to make matters brief for the sake of our time, what you have in pietism uh, is a very simple evangelical way of life and belief, a very simple uh, approach uh, to, to faith and practice, uh, God's Word uh, being the guide. And, um, and Zinzendorf was, was strongly influenced by, by pietism, uh, even prior to encountering the Brethren. And that had a great deal of influence on, on his mission theology, uh, as we will talk about in, in, in just, just a moment. Um, the notion of pietism being, being very simple, so to speak, and, and simple in, in, in evangelical zeal for sharing the gospel uh, was something that impacted Zinzendorf. In fact, uh, when you begin to think about Zinzendorf's views on theology and missions, uh, the word simple does come to mind. Uh, Zinzendorf was a very well, uh, he was well-educated. Uh, however, he was not an academic uh, he was an individual that we could describe uh, much uh, as being a missions organizer and missionary thinker. Uh, 
but he never developed any sort of systematic uh, theology, anything of that nature. Uh, there's been a great deal written on Zinzendorf's theology of missions uh, that you can find that's out there. Uh, I'll share with you some of the important aspects that I think are, are critical to our conversation today. Uh, first of all, in his understanding of missions, uh, Zinzendorf believed that the Holy Spirit was the only true missionary. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit uh, would, would use followers of Jesus uh, in his hands uh, to carry out the will of, of God. And so the Holy Spirit was a missionary spirit. Uh, another thing that was important in uh, Zinzendorf's understanding of, of missionary activity uh, was what he called the first fruits, the notion of first fruits. What He encouraged the early Moravians that would, that would leave his estate in um, uh, his estate, Hernhut, and would travel uh, throughout the world to very remote places. He would encourage them to to, to work among uh, receptive peoples, and he believed that the Holy Spirit would, would go before them and would be preparing hearts like we see with, an Ethi- with the Ethiopian eunuch, with Cornelius, and he would encourage uh, those that were sent out uh, to look for those first fruits, those that would be very receptive uh, to, to the gospel. Another important uh, teaching that was uh, part of Zinzendorf's understanding of missions is that he encouraged, and this kind of goes back to uh, to pietism and, and keeping things very simple, he encouraged uh, those that were sent out to preach a very simple message uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, keeping the message uh, very simple. He believed in an exclusive message of salvation, that apart from Christ there is no salvation, and um, he, he encouraged, uh, exhorted those that were sent out not to in, engage in philosophical debates and arguments, but bring a straightforward preaching of the gospel of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and the hope uh, that he, he provides. He, he told the missionaries to preach to the hearts of the people, uh, preach to the hearts of the people. Zinzendorf also uh, encouraged uh, the, those that were sent out to go to the neglected peoples. So when you begin to see where they went throughout the world, and I'll mention that in just a few moments, you see that they went to some of the, some very remote places on the planet. Um, the Moravians, uh, they eventually became a denomination unto themselves, much like many um, of these uh, very organic type groups uh, that have strong... Um, apostolic zeal uh, that we see happening throughout history. Uh, they eventually became a denomination themselves, but, but the plan was never for that to occur. Zinzendorf uh, never wanted the Moravians to be a separate denomination. Uh, he wanted them to come alongside of other denominations and, um, and, and work with them to reform the church already in, in existence. There, they had strong ties with the Lutherans. And so uh, there was never this desire to, for example, uh, create a, a separate denomination from the Lutherans or, or sheep steal from the Lutheran church and create their own uh, church, uh, but rather to work to reform the church that's already in existence. Uh, there was no um, uh, proselytization from other groups um, trying to get other people to join uh, them in what they were doing. Uh, one of the things that uh, comprises Zinzendorf's missiology and I believe receives the most attention today uh, is the notion of tent making. Uh, most of the early uh, Moravians that were sent out, they were self-supporting from the very beginning. And, and you get a lot of that in conversations today. And there's much there that we can learn from the Moravians, and we'll come back to that uh, also in, in, a, in a few moments. 
But those are some of the things that I just want you to kind of keep in mind. There's much more that could be said about um, Zinzendorf's theology uh, of missions, and uh, I just want to lay out a few things just just to kind of get our wheels turning for for uh, for this podcast as we begin to to now move a little bit deeper into the conversation related to the Moravians. So. So let's 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 spend a few moments thinking about where they served. So when you begin to look at uh, the Moravians in the early 18th century, so we're we're talking about uh, them coming together um, on her on Hernhut uh, under Zinzendorf's uh, protection, if you will, and eventually his leadership in uh in August uh, of uh, 1727 in fact August 13th to be exact of 1727 uh, there was a spiritual renewal uh, a, a revival that occurred among uh, those that were there on the estate of Zinzendorf and and that re- that re- renewal that revival really begins to to drive them to uh, taking the gospel across the world to to a multitude of places in very uh, difficult areas, and so the time period that that we're, we're reflecting on at this moment is uh, is around that time period. So, 1727, uh, we eventually see uh, that by 1732, their first missionaries, so to speak, were, were actually sent out. So. One of the things we need to know about church history at this point in time is that there were other Protestants before the Moravians that were involved in missionary activity. The Moravians, however, were really the first Protestants to recognize the task of missionary work, of that apostolic work, if you will, being the responsibility of the church and not the work of governments through their colonialization activities. So this notion of the the church, if you will, is responsible for carrying out the preaching of the gospel and seeing the gospel spread, churches planted across the world, and it is not the work of the governments to do that activity. And that was that was a paradigm shift. That was a significant change in the way uh, believers thought about carrying the gospel uh, to the nations. So when you begin to look at the Moravians and where they where they served in those early days in the the 1700s uh, and moving into uh, the 1800s and in the 1900s as well. So when you when you're looking at the 18th century up through the through the early 20th century, uh, you find some amazing things. So if you look at a map, what you see is that especially during the first few decades after the beginning of their first missionary team that was sent out. So the first few decades following 1732. Uh, 1732 is when their first team arrived in the Virgin Islands, uh, Danish West Indies area. So when you begin to look at where they went, they had uh, a global vision. They were all over the world, and they were able to travel to points on the globe that were incredibly uh, difficult to, to, to get to with the means of transportation of their day and time. And so it was not unusual for them to spend weeks and even months traveling by foot uh, to, to eventually get to a boat who then would take them for, never, for another several weeks on, across waters, and then they would, they would get to land and they would travel another several weeks. So uh, it, it, was, it was unreal 
where they went when you begin to see the points on the globe. Uh, when, when you look at uh, a couple books uh, that are out there, James Weingarth uh, in his book, You Are My Witnesses, and Ruth Tucker in her book From Jerusalem to Irian Jaya, uh, these two, two scholars provide a list of the early Moravian dates and locations of their missionary service. So, so listen to some of these things and keep in mind the time period and how difficult it would be, be to get from a place like Saxony to some of these places. 1732, first missionaries arrive in the Virgin Islands. 1733, Greenland. Greenland, 1733. Uh, they are in the, the West Indies, uh, some more for 1734 to 1736. You see them in 1734 in northern Scandinavia. 1734 and 1738, they're in Georgia, in what would become the United States, in the United States. Um, 1735, Suriname and South America. 1736, they're on the Gold Coast of Africa. South Africa in 1737, and Amsterdam in 1738. Algeria, uh, 1739. Uh, they're in the Eastern and Midwestern United States by 1740. Uh, Romania in 1740, Constantinople in 1740, Persia in 47, 1752, they're in Egypt and Abyssinia, uh, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, I'm just looking at some of the other places here right off this list that I thought may be interesting. Um, 17, excuse me, 1849, they're in Honduras and Nicaragua. Uh, by the time uh, you get to 1885, they're in Alaska, California by 1890. Um Edmonton, Canada in 1895, uh, Botswana, uh, no, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Santo Domingo in 1907. When you begin to look at the, the list, what you see is, for example, by the end of 1760, so first missionaries go out in 1732, by the end of 1760, more than 200 Moravians had entered into missionary service by the end of 1760. Uh, Tucker writes in her book, she says that it is estimated that there was a, a ratio, if we can use this phrase, of missionaries to lay people, a ratio of one missionary for every 60 Moravians. One Moravian being sent out to some of these most, most difficult places on the planet for every 60 members of the Moravian community. I mean, that, that's an incredible ratio. So when we begin to think about their methods, what did they do? How did they engage in their missionary activity? What are some of the things that we see? What are some of the things that, that come about uh, from Zinzendorf's teaching, from what the, uh, the community was practicing as they were, they were sent out? Well, Zinzendorf, he did provide some instruction to his earliest missionaries as they, they were sent out. He, he, was, he, was, he was a student of those that had gone before. Uh, one of the individuals that influenced him was Engedi, who uh, had served in Greenland. And so uh, Zinzendorf um, um, made, made some, some statements that were to help guide these, these very early missionaries, some of their earliest missionaries. He, he, he wrote uh, the following, You are not to aim, for, aim at the conversion of whole nations. You must simply look for seekers who, after the truth, like the Ethiopian eunuch, seem ready to welcome the gospel. There's that notion of the first fruit. Um, so second, uh, you must go straight to the point. 
and tell them about the life and death of Christ. And third, you must not stand aloof from the heathen, but humble yourself, mix with them, treat them as brethren, and pray with them and for them. And then he makes this interest, interesting statement after he tells them these three things, you know, to, to, to look for the first fruits, uh, don't focus on, on whole, whole populations, whole nations, but look for those first fruits, uh, get to the point, preaching clear gospel message and, and, and connect with people, incarnate yourself among the people. Then he makes this statement, uh, having studied some of the, the missionary activities in the past, he says, how is it that missionaries have failed in the past? And he says this, they have failed because instead of preaching Christ, they have given lectures on theology. So Zinzendorf was, was very simple in his training, very simple in what he was advocating uh, to those that uh, were being sent out, and, and very, much keeping them fo- very much about keeping them focused on uh, calling people to repentance and faith in Christ uh, rather than getting tied up in, in lecturing and debates and, and, and philosophical discussions. Uh, Gustav Warneck, uh, early missiologist, uh, very, uh, very early missiologist in his book Outline of a History of Protestant Missions uh, from the Reformation to the Present. You know, he talks about the Moravians and you know, he, he says that the instructions that were given to the missionaries were very simple and the, the missionary methods were of a purely spiritual kind. They, they, the, the baptized were organized in congregations and they followed a model that was very close to what they had been exposed to at home in, in the European context. So when we begin to think about their methods beyond just some of these, these really simple instructions of what Zinzendorf shared with them about first fruits and getting to the point and, and incarnating oneself, what were some of the things that we see? And I think there are several things that practically played out on the field in the Moravian uh, work across the world in some of these remote places uh, that are helpful for us to, to get an understanding of what they were doing and that we can learn from as well as we reflect on our day and time. So again, keeping in mind the time period, you know, around the 1730s and, and following, what were some of the, the things that they were doing as far as their methods are concerned? Well, first of all, we see the issue of mission stations. Uh, so the, the first component um, related to the missionary the, to the Moravian practices was that they were they were very much what we would call mission station in their in their focus. Um, they um, uh, the missionaries would practice a communal living wherever they went to. And um, what they what they tried to replicate across the world was what they had been exposed to at Hernhut. So they, they, they were taking a heavy dose of their cultural ecclesiology with them, their cultural expectations with them. In fact, uh, in one area of Greenland, uh, the first work that was established there was actually named New Hernhut. Uh, so, uh, so carrying even the name with them uh, to some of those locations. And so um, you, you see their, their settlements being organized and being self-contained, uh, self-supporting towns and centers of outreach in what they, in what they did. And so the, the notion of, of what eventually become a mission compound, uh, mission station, uh, was really being advocated by the early Moravians. Uh, when they were engaged in their outreach, they, they really approached their, their evangelical outreach in, in two ways, in two forms. Uh, they focused on 
the believers that had been scattered, or what was referred to as the diaspora. Now, obviously, that has different connotation, different meaning uh, in today's conversations, but back in that day, it was the notion of the early believers that had been scattered but had not been uh, had been unable for whatever reason because of their move, unable to connect with the con- congregation. And so, uh, in the diaspora, Moravian workers were to organize uh, pietistic renewal groups uh, within existing congregations that that may be already established by the state churches. And so uh, they were were doing things to help bring about renewal, again, rather than extracting those believers out. Uh, The second aspect of their outreach was was what was basically referred to as foreign missions. Uh, And that was the typical understanding of going to uh, the unbelievers, those that were not a part of, of any congregation, those that had not been born again. And so, you, you, but you see, even in this expression of what they were doing with their outreach, connected to really a, a, an early form of a mission station approach to to uh, to extracting people and and seeing them um, envelop almost a very European cultural expression of ecclesiology uh, in in that point in time. Another thing that was practical to what they were doing on the field is that they advocated a team approach, and so this was very significant to their methods. Uh, the Moravians uh, would always send teams. Uh, a team approach was something that they used throughout the world. Uh, a third thing that you see with the Moravian methods on the field is that they went to areas of need, being pioneer areas. Uh, in fact, uh, the great uh, church historian Stephen Neal, he, he wrote wrote about the Moravians, made the following statement. He said the Moravians have tended to go to the most remote, unfavorable and neglected parts of the surface of the earth. And that was so true. Uh, they're going to Greenland. Uh, they're going to, to islands, remote islands. They're going to parts of Labrador. Uh, they're going to parts of America. They're going to Russia. Areas that were very pioneer for Protestant evangelical work. You see the Moravians being very much engaged at that point in time. And their approach was very simple. They were to take the gospel to the lost and bring renewal and unity to the church's uh, that had grown cold in those areas. Another approach, and I already referenced this earlier, was a focus on receptive peoples. So uh, they would they would seek to work among those who were were close to asking or more open to asking the question, Philippian jailer question. You know, what must I do to be saved? Um, Moravians had no problems beginning their work among groups like the slaves. In fact, early Moravians even sold themselves into slavery so that they could connect with the slaves and and work alongside of them and share the gospel with them. They went to uh, the uh, the Inuit, uh, or what they referred to as, at the time as the Eskimo uh, in those early days. They went to uh, groups of people in Labrador that uh, ended up murdering uh, many of the, the early um, Moravians. And many of these early teams, even though they were going to work among people and they were looking for receptive people, uh, they experienced great hardships and many, many heartaches in this early process. The uh, fifth thing, fifth thing I think would be important to keep in mind when you look at their methods and what they did was they, um, they had a long-term perspective. Uh, they had longevity in the field. It was not unheard of or uncommon for them to spend their entire lives working among a particular people group in a particular area. Uh, they would make great sacrifices. They would they would uh, see themselves uh, go to prison. They would see loss of health, loss of life, just to preach the gospel to people in pioneer areas. 
the Moravians that first went to Greenland, they, they spent five years uh, in, in, in Greenland before they saw the first person come to faith in Christ. Another thing to keep in mind is cultural acquisition and language learning. I mean, these early Moravians were, were seeking to learn culture, even though obviously they were trying to bring what had been modeled before them uh, to a lot of the people. But at the same time, they were seeking to understand the culture of the people and to learn language. And so, uh, particularly among the Native American in North America, in the United, in, you know, you know, America, uh, you you have some of the early Moravians that were actually at times uh, confused uh, to, or confused by some, to actually be Native Americans. They 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 had adopted so much of the Native American ways that 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 some people who were not Native Americans thought that they were Native Americans. The early Moravians were also involved in, also involved in Bible translations. So that's that's a seventh thing that we see in their methods. They they were seeking to understand language so they could translate the scriptures into the language of the people, and that may have had something to do with uh, with Morav- uh, excuse me with Zinzendorf because he uh, in his early years uh, received a Bible, a book that he had only heard about for many years, even though he was Christian, and started to read it and understand it. And so Bible translation was a big part of the Moravian work in the early days. Uh, something else related to their 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 activity was the activ- or was their missionary zeal. I mean, when you when you begin to look at the the lives of the Moravian missionaries, there was great zeal in in them leaving Hernhut to travel across the globe. Another thing that comes up related to their practices on the field uh, was the issue of prayer. Priority was placed on prayer. Great emphasis placed on prayer. Uh, in fact, one of the things that the Moravians were known for was actually uh, a, a, what was called a, a prayer meeting that lasted continuously for an entire century. Uh, individuals, Hernhut would set aside an hour a day around the clock for 100 years to pray for the missionary labors of the people. Another thing that Moravians did on the field that was important to their work was avoiding sheep stealing. Sheep stealing was not allowed. The aim of the missionary, uh, the Moravian church, was simply to what they called win souls for the lamb. Uh, the Moravians did not seek to extract believers out of other denominations, but they rather saw their efforts as a part of the process of bringing the first fruits into the kingdom. And, and then also, Tent making, obviously tent making. We we hear about that quite uh, frequently. Tent making was originally expected, uh, though Moravian leadership would eventually you know set forth a challenge to the church at home to support missionaries and evangelists that were sent out. The early missionaries were sent out as tent makers, and so self support was seen as an ex- expectation of everyone that went out across the globe. In fact, it's been said that. that the early missionaries that were sent out, they were basically given just a little bit of money just to, to get them to the nearest boat. And from there on, they were to be, to be self, self-supporting. They were taught, they were taught before they left Hernhut that they needed to, to develop and understand crafts, uh, skills that they would find uh, applicable, or to use kind of contemporary language, marketable, uh, wherever they would go across the world. Uh, in fact, they were discouraged from doing agriculture because it was believed that if they took on skills and uh, different type crafts, uh, that that would give them greater mobility for missions of the lamb. And so the Moravians uh, would often send their artisans uh, across the world uh, that would match up with their appropriate skills. 
Something else that was a part of the the work uh, and the environment, the atmosphere in which the Moravians lived and, and, and moved was the notion that missionaries were seen as the norm and not the exception. In other words, the sending of people wasn't a shock to the system when a couple said, I feel that we need to go to this island or to Siberia or to uh, this particular country. Uh, In other words, it was a part of their culture, their expectation. And so it it was to the point that there was there was so much sending going on that when when someone said they felt ready to go, uh, things didn't just shut down. It was a part of yeah. The, the Lord is answering our prayers. Praise the Lord. Let's see this happen. Let's see you sent out. It it wasn't seen as something unusual. It wasn't seen as something unusual when someone within their within their faith community would say, "I feel that God is leading us to leave and go to another part." to plant our lives, and to plant the gospel among the unbelievers. And the community did not see that as as if something marvelous or bizarre had happened. In other words, it was a part of the natural life, breathing in and breathing out of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And so it was very much encouraged. Giving you a lot of information to think about today, giving you a lot of things to, to ponder I didn't want this time to be a critique of the practices of the early Moravians. Um, that's obviously something that I think is is important and something that should be done. Uh, but I wanted to give you an idea of just some of the things that uh, they were about, some of the things that they engaged in in their early activities. And so I want to leave you with this thought. I want to leave you with, with this thought. What is it that that we today can can learn from these early brothers and sisters and begin to to apply within our local church context. So, you know, as a pastor, I'm, I'm asking those questions, my, I'm asking that question myself. What, what is it that I, that I can learn from these brothers and sisters? Uh, what are some of the things, maybe principles, or maybe some of their methods? Uh, obviously, everything they did, I don't agree with. Everything they taught or believed, I would not agree with. But, but there is a lot of really, really good stuff that's found in the history of the, of the early Moravians. And so what can we learn, what can we apply when it comes to making disciples of all nations? And I believe that there's much here, and I think there's much that we need to keep in mind. And it obviously extends beyond just the fact that they were tent makers. There's a lot more to it than that. Hey, thanks so much for checking out uh, this podcast. I hope that this uh, discussion on the early Moravians and their activities throughout the world uh, has been helpful to you, and I hope that you would uh, use this as an opportunity to uh, dig a little bit deeper, study a little bit more on those early believers. We praise God for them, and I'm thankful for you as well. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.